another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing just fine, Jody, and I trust you're alive and not unwell. Well, that would be a astute judgment on your part, considering that I just did the hello to the podcast. Well, there you go. See? <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. What are we talking about today? We're talking lead vocals, specifically when mixing mm-hmm. lead vocals. Okay. I think we'll just dive right in, shall we? Dive. And the idea here is obviously that lead vocal is generally the most important element of any track. If you're the vocalist. If you're the guitar player, you might think differently. That's a very astute, yes. <laughs> then, of course, the guitar is the most important part. That's or right. if you're the drummer, the whatever, the cool little things that you're doing on the hi-hat is the most integral part of the track. Okay. Let's say for non-musicians or not part of the band, the vocal is generally the most important thing, right? Sure. There are a few things that we want to consider when we're mixing lead vocals. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you? When what kind of track is it in the start? Are we talking about R&B? Are we talking about metal, country, singer-songwriter? What are we doing? That's the correct answer, right? That's the first thing to consider because not every vocal is going to be treated the same way. We used to say it's style-dependent, right, or mm-hmm. content-dependent. If you have that soulful R&B song, you're probably not going to be as aggressive with effects and processing as you are in an industrial metal track, right? That Could be. Sounds absurd when you say it like that, but <laughs> those are the parameters and those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Before we get to mixing, though, just as a quick recap, what are some of the things that you do to a lead vocal? Before you crack you the whip on your mixing? assistant and you make them do things like comp the vocal tune the vocal, and remove all the extraneous noises on that vocal track. You want to have... Then you pay them 50 cents and a coffee. (laughs) And for the privilege of being there and doing it in front of Mr. Whitesides. Of course, as I joke, of course. (laughs) Yes. You know, that's important because I think sometimes we're so eager to get into mixing a song. And... Once we get into adding some processing to a lead vocal track, or indeed any track, but we're talking lead vocals today, things start appearing that the singer might be clearing its throat in between takes or excessive breaths or all that kind of stuff, right? And it just grinds everything to a halt. I know we've said that before. Get rid of all that stuff before you start at zero and starting to to mix the track. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a few things that we're going to cover that I think are appropriate for just about any style. All right. Today. What's the first thing? Well, the first thing I like to do is um, something we call clip gaining, right? And this. What is that? Well, while it's called a little different things in whatever DAW you're using with, right? I'd like to even out just with the actual regions or the clips if you're in Pro Tools to make sure that sections and performances are reasonably level in the way that they've been recorded in signal and volume, right? How do you clip gain? You work both in Logic and Pro Tools and they kind of do the same thing, but what level are you clip gaining to and how are you going about it? Well... I tend to look at, I don't necessarily have a level. I mean, if I were to 
you would force my hand, I would probably say something like minus 18. Oh, really? This is new for you. I don't think you've said that before. No, I'm not that hardcore with it, to be honest. But I want to make sure that just everything is relatively even. And when you say minus 18, you're talking about peak. Yes. Not relative loudness. Not not RMS, right. Right. To be perfectly honest, when I go about and do this, I just want to make sure that I have plenty of headroom on all the loud bits and all the softer dynamic parts are still softer and dynamic, but not drastically so. So you're especially saying if, once you've comped a vocal or your assistant has comped that vocal, yep. you don't cut it apart and then raise the volume of the peak on soft parts so that, that the same peak loudness as loud parts. No, I, I don't necessarily go for the same peak because I find that if it's a truly a dynamic performance, that will make it sound unnatural mm-hmm. because the sound is going to be, you know, a lot more dynamic. I don't raise it up so that every peak is at like, let's say that arbitrary value of minus 18. It's more so that there's not drastic differences there. Gotcha. But I do cut it apart so that every phrase is there, right? That needs to be raised because that, that's basically how clip gaining works, right? Mm-hmm. And then I might bounce that to a new file or compile it as you would in Pro Tools. More often than not, I won't do that. I will do that once everything is nice and tuned and all that kind of stuff anyway. so mm-hmm. What's your process? Do you go through that at all? Because this is obviously assuming that it is there are differences in, in volume in the recording. Yes. It would depend highly upon whether or not I'm the one that was the recording engineer that had tracked the vocals or if someone else had done it and it was brought to me to mix. Sure. Obviously, if I'm in control of that recording engineer situation, most people that have been longtime listeners of the podcast would know Jody likes minus 18 dB on his channel right. strips for pretty much everything. <laughs> Did you just refer to yourself in third person? I think you did. (laughs) I did. And then if someone else has done the recording and it's way all over the map, obviously chopping it up a little bit to get the peaks and valleys going a little bit more evenly. And then the minus 18 using the clip gaining is where I roll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just makes your job easier down the line. Right? Sure Whenever does. Kind of even Proper just, yeah. gain staging, they call it. Yes. Yes. And uh, we'll cover especially why a little bit later on here in these points. But what's up next? What do you do when you start like any kind of processing? What's the first thing in your chain, basically? Listening to the vocal. And if the sure. vocal's got problems in terms of sibilance, mm-hmm. I will add a de at the very front end, and then I will listen to how I set up that de to make sure that that sibilance is removed. Yes. How about you? Yeah, same thing. This is something that doesn't happen or doesn't need to happen on every track. Obviously, it depends on a lot of parameters like the singer, what kind of microphone's been used, all this kind of stuff as you're recording, right? But That's why I said you uh, need to listen to it first. That's right. That's right. That would be first in my chain. I wouldn't wait till I've applied compression or anything like that. That'd be the first thing I want to kind of like nip that in the bud and get yeah. rid of that before. So I concur. That's the, yeah. I usually listen for that in like the upper mids, maybe like 
2.5 to 3.5 K generally depends on the singer, but that's kind of where I start with that. It can go anywhere from about 2 K all the way up to 5 K. It just depends on how their voice and their mouth works. Sure. And male, female, all those kind of Uh things, right? That changes the range a little bit too. Yeah. I know we've talked about DSers before, but do you have one that's like your go-to DSer? I do. Yeah. I bet it's the same one as yours. It's called Soothe 2. Yes. That's one I like to use (laughs) a lot. I do like the one that's part of the slate rack as well, though. Mm -hmm. Got a couple of things there, but that's the one I generally do. But Soothe is absolutely Logic's built-in DSer is actually pretty good too. Yeah. It got an upgrade a couple of versions ago, I believe. It did. And it became drastically better. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good one. So don't feel like you have to go out and buy a new specialized one. If you're a Logic user, that one works just fine and dandy. Mm-hmm. Once you've done DSing, what do you do next? The order of processing here is really up for debate. Okay. But generally what I will do is I will do some type of filtering and I'm generally talking low cut right here now. Have to be a little careful. There's a lot of people proclaiming like, oh, you always cut up to this frequency or whatever. That can be a good guideline when people say, oh, I've always cut everything up to 150. I don't really get that aggressive usually. Again, this depends on the vocalist and their range. Again, female, male is going to be a bit of a difference. I will try to just remove any kind of like really low end. I might go up to like a hundred or something like that. I just really don't want to cut off any of the the weight and the mm-hmm. voice. I just want to remove gunk that doesn't belong there. Just right? enough not to lose the bottom end, but enough to lose the stomping on the floor. Exactly. That sounds like a t-shirt slogan. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Let's make one up and sell it on the website. There you go. What do you got next once you've done that? Because I'm assuming you're doing the same thing, right? Yeah. If there's any drastic issue with the vocal EQ-wise, this is where the corrective EQ stage would come in after the filtering. Whether it's a need to get rid of nasal qualities or adding a frequency that's not there from the mic or the performance, Maybe I need to add a little of the upper mids to get some of the clarity of the vocal back or some of the upper end above 15K to get some air back in the performance if it's in need of sparkle. I'm the same way there. We're just kind of fixing stuff that's obviously, hesitate to use the word wrong, but I'm going to use it anyway. That sounds funky, Mm -hmm. right? So kind of correct those before any other processing goes on. And you could argue that the filtering is just that. But since we're both adopted a console style workflow mm-hmm. within the last couple of years, you have the filter there and then you remove all that kind of stuff. I would same thing do with if there's a super aggressive high end, like the super highs, but generally I don't. Well, because, not pre, not in the correct right. stage, no. It's just a yeah. little gentle push. Yeah. I would do the same thing. And now I think we get into the part that you and I do a little bit differently, and that's sort of like starting with compression. Mm -hmm. How do you generally deal with compression on lead vocal? Style dependent. Some styles require faster compression. Others do not. 
Mm-hmm. If it is an aggressive, hard style that needs a bit more bite, I'm likely to just grab the 1176. To catch those peaks type That's of thing? That's right. And it can add a lot of <clears throat> to it when needed. <laughs> yeah, it can add a lot of like attitude kind of stuff there. What would be a case where you would have an 1176? Because if you haven't heard, if this is the first time you're listening to us, welcome to the show. But you would know that, Jody, you, you really like the LA-2A generally first. I do, right? Right. especially on the bus, regardless of uh, the On style. the vocal bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The vocal bus, mm-hmm. regardless of style. That's generally going to be the LA-2. If it's a less aggressive style and it doesn't need to be clamped, so to speak, then I'll use the LA-2A as well on the channel if needed. Okay. But that's your first in a perfect world. That's what Mm -hmm. you would go with first, right? Yeah. Yeah. Style dependent. I mean, if it's a rock track, I'm going to go with 1176 or something a little more aggressive. Yeah. This is, you know, one of those things. It's a little bit of a philosophy and workflow because there are so many moving parts, right? And Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like always use this setting. If somebody tells you that, it's bullshit, right? Because, you know, it, it is dependent on the vocalist, the performance, the type of track, like you said. I will generally start with an 1176 because at this point I'm trying to catch just peaks mm-hmm. in the performance, whether that's just plosives or whatever it is, and just kind of tame those and then usually follow that up with an LA-2A. How much two. are you compressing in each step when you talk about this? It's hard to say. I really just kind of go with what I think sounds good. A good measuring stick, I think, for me would be dependent on what I'm doing again, right? But let's say I'm, I'm catching those peaks, mm-hmm. maybe three, maybe up to like five dB, yeah, if I can get away too. with it. Yeah, that's a fair amount, right? Mm-hmm. You'll have to listen. If it needs it, you, you can go heavier, right? And just, sure. If that just sounds awesome. You can also very easily just kind of squeeze all the life out of it. So, but that's why I'm kind of going with it. And then if it's an LA-2A, if it's needed at all after that, because like I said, that, that's a fair bit of compression going on it already. Yeah. But then there'll be another couple of dB. Well, if World your champ, you know, is pit, gain reduction, well, and your clip gaining is done well and your gain staging is done well, your compressor likely doesn't need to work nearly as hard. This is true. This is, again, where I think going back to that clip gaining thing is that if you have a real dynamic vocal or a vocal that just has been recorded not very well, perhaps doing different times or what have you, and there are discrepancies there, if you need to compress the snot out of something just to reach the peaks of like a low performance, that, that's going to sound horrible. Maybe, unless you're doing bro country. Then they just compress the snot out of everything. Yeah, but even in those cases, I'll bet things are recorded really, really well. Of course. course. Yeah. yeah. It just makes it a lot easier, and you're less likely to run into issues with compression if everything is remotely similar. Well, now you've stuck one compressor in after your corrective EQ. What are you doing next? Now... If I need to, I'm looking at sweetening EQ. This would be 
essentially just making it sit in the track. Mm -hmm. So after compression, all this kind of stuff, maybe something is lost a little bit. Might have to add a little clarity in the upper mids or something like that. Or if something gets too boomy or just something needs to be boosted to kind of make it sit in the track now that it's competing with everything else. Right. That's my next step. What do you kind of listen for in this step? Often it, it has a lot to do with the air and the space around the vocal, the natural space that was recorded with the vocal. Generally speaking, bringing that out helps tend to bring out the life as well. Yeah, that's true. Now, a little bit off topic here. I want to mention it anyway. You, you mentioned like the actual ambience where the vocal has been recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh right? What are your thoughts on having that included in the track? Assuming it's recorded well, obviously it's not an issue, mm -hmm. but sometimes when people record stuff, it could be in their bedroom or whatever they're doing it, mm -hmm. they're projecting, there's a lot of room in the vocal file. I'm assuming this is something that you would deal with before you start missing. Oh, but, yeah, but yeah. Mixing, I'm sorry. What are your thoughts on that? Do you like to have baked-in ambience in the track, or are you kind of against that? I like it if the room and the way they've done it is appropriate. Yeah. If it's not appropriate, you need to remove it and then add it back in some way, shape, or form using reverb or something. Yeah, I'm with you. I would prefer to have a drier vocal if it, again, if it's not recorded well. And I find that when you have a certain amount of ambience in with a vocal already, as it's tracked, it's baked in there, mm -hmm. it assumes that the track has been really well produced when whoever's recorded this have taken that into consideration that it's like, yeah, this is the type of track where we want this kind of space in there. Yep. Otherwise, I find that once you're adding some compression and things and you just hear that slap of a naked wall coming right back at you and it's you know we have tools for that now you know rx and all this kind of stuff right but i'd rather not do that i would rather have a drier vocal sent to me and then add it later probably sure. because i'm control freak so what other <laughs> additional effects once you've got this sweetening eq down would you do well i'm listening for warmth and things right uh -huh. and mentioned the clarity in the mids, the, the body of the vocal. Sometimes we can be a little too aggressive when we EQ vocals because if we start cutting too much and it feels boomy, it's just, you lose weight in it, right? So it's that, it's that fine balance we need to have. But additional effects, the usual suspects like reverb and delay. I feel like we've talked about that ad nauseum here, right? <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know, we talked about last week, was at 182, we talked about our favorite emulations of hardware reverb. So we, we yes. talked a little bit about vocals in there. Mm -hmm. I know we did it, talked about reverb in episodes 155 and 91, respectively, as well. So maybe we'll do another one in the future. If you have questions now, just go look and listen for those, I guess. What other additional mix techniques are you looking at? One that I think can be very, very handy even if you're not doing a black metal track, is <laughs> distortion or just overdrive. Yep. Just adding a little bit of overdrive or maybe even just like tape emulation to add a little crunch to a vocal mm -hmm. is a great way of adding some attitude right. to a performance, right? 
Do you do this with parallel or in series? Usually parallel, but the the tools that I have, my favorite thing to do this with is uh, Decapitator okay. from Sound Toys. Mm -hmm. And that has, you know, a mix knob on the plugin. So it's never 100%. Gotcha. Essentially, it's it's in parallel. I mean, I, if it was a case where I would, let's say I want it on the chorus but not on the verse perhaps, mm -hmm. I might do that through a send or something just and just automate the send as opposed to automating a parameter in the plug. It just feels cleaner to me. All right. If it's a tape emulation, I'll, I'll probably do it on the send. Gotcha. Because, again, in there. Right. What about you? Do, you? do you use that at all? Or? Yeah, it depends heavily on the style of track of whether I'm going to use, say, a rat pedal to really get some serious distortion out of a vocal. Yeah, no kidding. Something like a thermionic culture vulture. Or sure. there's another new distortion that's coming, testing out this distortion that allows up to three different distortions in varying methods of frequency and amplitude <laughs> to how it can attack a sound. It's really quite something. Let's just say that it's going to be cool. Let's right? just say, yes, exactly yeah. that. Let's just say that this distortion is going to end up being cool. That is a game changer in the way that you would even think about approaching applying distortion on any instrument for that matter, but especially a vocal. All right. So now we got a hopefully really good sounding vocal track, vocal lead track. Mm -hmm. Sounds obvious. What's your final step when you're working with your lead vocal? Assuming that we got our reverbs and effects and stuff going. Writing the automation. Right. Making sure that the vocal is legible as necessary at every point in the track. Yeah. I know when I started, it was very easy to think that, okay, I got a great vocal level here, and it's like set it and forget it. Now, to people who have been mixing for a while, you know that that's an absurd statement, but, but it still <laughs> deserves to be said, right? If somebody's trying to learn some, something new, automating the volume of the vocal is imperative because it brings to life and, and the vocal might be, the sound is great in the chorus, but now so many other elements in the mix might come in. So to have that legibility needs to be risen and you ride that in the automation track to make it still sit on top and everything in the courses or, or otherwise coming back down for another verse or whatever happens to be. Right? Is there anything else that you do beyond this? Oh yeah. But then I'll have to kill everybody if I told oh, you. Geez. No, <laughs> no, but, but that's it. No, in all seriousness, this is way I tend to process vocals. Mm -hmm. Assuming everything has been recorded well, this will get you where you need to go. Sure. And then it's just about creative uh, use of, of effect to make sure you don't drown your vocal in reverb and all this kind of stuff that can sound really sexy at a time. But yeah, that, those are those are the steps I do. Anything that you want to add to Yeah, there's to this one more list thing of... that I would do beyond this. Okay, what's up? I would use the Soothe 2 plugin in a sidechain function against every other portion of the mix for the guitar stems, the bass stem, the drum stems, the synth stems, the orchestral stems, whatever other stems there are coming out of this mix. 
I throw a Soothe 2 on it that is sidechained to the lead vocal that will then pull out resonances on each of those tracks based on the lead vocal. That helps the lead vocal sit in the track a little bit better as well. That is a fantastic tip that I think we, we got at uh, NAM. We did I believe get that it was. at NAM, yes. Yeah, that is a really, really good one. I don't actually do it like that on the lead vocal, but Shame on maybe you. we should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of things just for clarification there. The way that you're using stems, you're saying stems in the literal sense. We're talking yes. groups of tracks here. We're not talking track, multi-tracks, yes. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So what you're basically doing is you're adding it to those groups and Sue then does this magical thing that it kind of carves out the functionality of the lead vocal from each one of those stems as needed. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's automatic and it sounds absolutely fantastic because it gives that clarity again and, and can do the same thing on other things. Let's say uh, hint, hint, background vocals. That's a really, really good one. And I might have to start adopting that as well. There you go. Let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? This is an odd one to be excited about, I think. Okay. Avid, formerly Avid, new owners. Are they still Avid? I don't know. Pro Tools was subscription only, much to the chagrin of a lot of people. Now with the new ownership coming in, they're actually allowing perpetual licenses again. Yay, perpetual licenses. With some kind of like cross-grade pricing. So I thought, well, that that's worthy of a mention, right? Because I thought that was kind of cool because, you know, it's a little bit easy to get caught up in so many subscriptions and this and that. And a lot of people just want to own it outright. Mm -hmm. So I thought, yeah, that, that's my Friday find that Pro Tools, huh, perpetual license. How about that? What do you got? I'm taking a dip in the universal audio well with a compressor that I have reacquainted myself in a way. We have mentioned it on the podcast multiple times in the past. I have created another new mastering chain for myself. And with this particular mastering chain, I have swapped out the compressor that I use. And that is the Fairchild compressor from universal audio. Obviously owning a hardware version of this requires probably selling your house or being independently wealthy beyond means. Thus, I'm going with the Fairchild compressor and mainly because it can do a lot of functionality having read up on it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You can do multiple ways of incorporating the attack and release just beyond the typical time constants that they have. You can also set it up to react differently from a lateral to a vertical situation based on splitting the channels as well, which helps in terms of mid-side stuff and those kinds of things, which the other compressor that I had in my mastering chain for a while did not do. This is straight up stereo compressor. Yeah. Yes. Very Plus cool. The Fairchild from UA. While nice. we've got your attention, we ask that you go to insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for any future giveaways, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this amazing podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word vocals, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode with that i'll say see you next week thanks for listening everybody have a good one jody <laughs>